Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined as always by Nate Atkins. Uh, it's a little bit later than we were going to do this podcast, kind of recapping what we learned about the quarterbacks last week uh, at the Combine. Uh, Nate, I think to his credit, wanted to a little time to decompress, take, take it all in, a lot of information, especially with the quarterbacks going late in the week, uh, talking on Friday, throwing on Saturday. Uh, Nate wanted some time to, to, to really think about these quarterbacks and, and go through them. Uh, I think I think we'll talk about five. We'll, we'll make it like four and a quarter because I don't know if we have to talk about the fifth one as much, given where the Colts are picking. But what? Let's let's go one by one. Let's just let's just go one by one on this. And I'm going to start with uh, the guy that feels like he was the big riser, um, just because of the attention that he got. Is is Anthony Richardson? And and I want to say this: I, the hard part about talking about these quarterbacks is. No matter what we say, if you say anything that's not Anthony Richardson is the greatest quarterback prospect that ever came to play in the NFL and has zero flaws and is essentially an Andrew Luck type prospect, I I feel like you're going to get pushback at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it yeah. feel like that after that week? It does. Yeah. I had someone asked me about that the other day and I was like, welcome to draft season. It's crazy how like. We, we get fixated on the guys we end up liking, and it gets to the point where you defend them like they're your kids when they're just like some player that might wind up on another team. And then all of a sudden, like for, from a fan's perspective, they don't come to your team. You're just awful now forever. So Anthony Richardson's definitely been the hot name through the combine. He was heading into it. And then certainly with the show he put on on Saturday where he uh, set the all-time record in the uh, broad in the vertical jump for a quarterback and tied it for the broad jump and ran a 4-4 at 244 pounds, just absolute electric stuff. The thing that's interesting best about relative, that, though, is... Best relative athletic score of any quarterback ever, beating Cam Newton. Yep, just past Cam. And there's two ways to look at that. Like, on one hand, the drills are always overrated in terms of the way that they change uh, the standing for guys, because... Really, teams are just looking to see if they verify what they see on tape, whereas that's like the, the fans see that. They see the numbers come out for the first time. They see uh, the drills on tape, so they think that's sort of the big turning point. Really, it's the medicals, the interviews that teams are gathering that's just new here and really changes the scope. But for Anthony Richardson, it was interesting uh, because he came out on Friday when we did the interview session, which, by the way, Chris Ballard said he'd pay a lot of attention to, so I was paying a lot of attention to. And Richard came out. Richard came out and just was so confident and kind of bordering on cocky, I guess. When he talked about how he used to call himself Cam Jackson as a mix of Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson, and he brought up uh, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And for a 21-year-old who does not have any of the college production that any of those guys had, the experience or really the numbers or accolades, that was you know. It, it, you could read that one of two ways. It could be concerning or it could be, you know, his chance to say, here's what I'm going to do and then go back it up. And from an athletic testing standpoint, he backed it up. Like it's it's remarkable how close he came to Cam Newton on some of these. Uh, he came within three quarters of an inch in height, four pounds in weight, and then ran a faster 40 and slightly better in both jumps. So he came out as a slightly tinier player because everyone is, every human being on earth is tinier than Cam Newton. But he came out as, what trade-off there happened is, is that he is an even better athlete just in terms of testing. So you saw that height backed up, and then it just sort of 
you know, it just spins into the greater conversation of how much does that matter when you're weighing it against this production, which is really the entire dilemma with this class where you have a couple guys who are all production and a couple guys who are kind of all traits without a whole lot of production. I I was thinking about this. I'm going to come at these from some, especially this this one, but I'm going to come at all of these from a, some, I guess, different angles. Uh, I was thinking about this class as sort of an analog to the 2020 class in that you have two quarterbacks that we've all known for a couple of years now are going to be at the top of the draft. So this year, that's that's Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And that year, it was Tua and and Justin Herbert. And then you have a toolsy guy who played really well as a junior uh, and then fell off as a senior. And you're, you're wondering about the arm and like, can he recapture that magic? And there's lots of explanations about, you know, his supporting cast, everything around him. That's to me, that's the Jordan Love and Will Levis uh, comparison. And then the fifth one is is like that's the guy who could go in the second round. That's the that's the consolation prize. Uh, but but super productive guy, some some reason to wonder about uh, his ability in the NFL uh, and age wise. And, and J- Jalen Hurts and Hendon Hooker are those. And then you have, and then you have these two. You have you have one part that doesn't correlate to it because Joe Burrow was the first quarterback in that draft, coming off of one of the greatest college football seasons ever. Is not a physical specimen in the way that Anthony Richardson is. Uh, but with everybody else kind of taken, him and Richardson sort of become the corollaries. Um, and Richardson, like I said, it feels like it feels like right now that uh, I don't know. It feels like in some corners of the internet that Anthony Richardson has become the can't miss prospect. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I don't. I understand what people are saying. Like his issues of accuracy are fixable. Um, People feel like Florida and and what was going on around him was was really bad, uh, but I can't find in my head if basically if Anthony Richardson is as good as everybody says he's going to be, if he's going to change the position and sort of be the next evolution of Mahomes, it's going to be unprecedented in football. I think I, I've been trying really hard for the last three days to think about. If there's another great or superstar quarterback who has his college profile, one year as a starter, not a lot of wins. Uh, I guess you could count the Utah win as a signature win, but I, I would kind of maybe not do that. Um, and and not great production. And I cannot think of one to save my life because everybody that I can think of, like Josh Allen, quarterbacked Wyoming for at least two years. You know, Patrick Mahomes had like 77 touchdown passes over his last two years at Texas Tech. Uh, even if you start going back historically, like Joe Montana's numbers look terrible at Notre Dame, but that's a lot because of the era and a lot. Be- and, but he, and he had all he had this reputation for these enormous comeback wins. Brett Favre, kind of the same thing, like his numbers look kind of pedestrian, but he beat Florida State, which is like that's prime Bobby Bowden era for Florida State. I would consider that program to be different than Florida beating Utah, that Southern Miss beating Bobby Bowden is, is different. And Favre had the Alabama one and was also a multiple year starter. I just I cannot think of another one year starter who didn't have great production at the college level who turned into a great quarterback. And that doesn't mean that Anthony Richardson's not going to. I think most people know 
that Anthony Richardson is all projection. I I just feel like we've gotten to this point now where there where there are no negative like the way people are talking about it is there are no negatives with Anthony Richardson. There's nothing to fix. He's going to be fine. Like ignore everything you saw in college. Like you just ignore the tape entirely. Yeah, which is obviously not true when any player is 53% completion rate. You know, he's one of those where even though Florida, I believe, maybe led the nation drops or they were in the top five, sort of the same place Josh Allen's receivers were at. Even if he took out all those drops, he's still not touching uh, other quarterbacks in completion rate. And and just overall play, just 17 passing touchdowns and even the rushing um, you know, it wasn't off the charts. It was this. This was not a Cam Newton season that he had, or even half of that, or even a third of that. So, well, and I, I want to, I want to point this out too in terms of the the Cam Newton because, you know, the big thing with Florida is everyone has talked about at Florida he was facing all of these challenges and obstacles. They're all the same challenges and obstacles that Cam Newton faced at Auburn. Yeah. <laughs> that that was an sure. eight win, that was an eight win Auburn team that Cam Newton took to 14 and 0 in the national championship. And I can tell you how I know it was an eight win Auburn team because the year before they won eight games and the year after they won eight games. And the only thing that really changed other than you can, you can say an, an unbelievable season from Nick Fairley on defense, but the only thing that really changed was Cam Newton, Cam Newton drug it. So yeah. it's, it's just, it's different. And I, I know this has kind of always been an NFL thing, like college production versus, uh, versus the traits and where they could go. I don't, I just, I just can't get over how unique the Richardson situation is in terms of how little he started and, and the lack of big moments. There's just not a lot of big moments from him outside of the Utah game, which was the first game of last season. There's not a lot of, there's, there's just not a lot of anything to go on there. And I, I again, I know, I understand you, you watch the tape. He's got the big arm. Uh, there's there's clips of him stepping up in the pocket and evading people and then finding someone. There's there's also some really bad interceptions on that tape, really bad. Yeah. And uh, I think I think the thing I just keep thinking of is we need to acknowledge that there is a chance that the passing issues don't get fixed, and that it's an abysmal pass. Like he's an abysmal passer in a passing league. That's that's possible. Oh, um, no doubt. No doubt. And he, he is a statistical outlier. So I had our editor, Nat Newell, uh, who does a lot of these stats for us and helps us throw us throw it into podcasts and stories and stuff. He, I had him look at uh, just if there's anybody in the last since 2000 that looks anything like this as far as a guy with his uh, essentially a one year starter, but essentially a player with his number of passing yards and his completion rate. So um kind of rough numbers here this is somewhere between 2500 and 3500 passing yards and 52 to 58 percent completion rate and there's a list of 22 players here and the best of them is matt flynn in terms of nfl success um i'm not sure there's another even nfl player on here i mean there's some guys that were it's hard to find guys that i've even heard of like will howard at kansas state i've heard of Uh, but some of these names uh, like we're talking about like Joe Cox when he was at Georgia. Um, <laughs> like they're just very random names. And and not only that, but kind of what you said too, about the one year production, I've, I've been thinking about this and I may just be missing someone. I probably am, but I've been wondering of all guys who had just one year of production in college, 
how many have been good in the NFL when when they've had one year in college and that one year wasn't incredible? So there's two guys I can think of who are good one-year starters in recent times. It's Cam Newton and Kyler Murray, and both won the Heisman. So it's like their one year was jaw-dropping, and they went number one overall because they were a mix of all these all this athleticism and upside, but they'd actually done it at some level and shown it on a field. Like I can't think of the last time we had a one-year starter whose year wasn't good in college who ended up being great in the NFL. They've had some guys that have run into – Kind of the other end of that, Mitch Trubisky had one year in college that wasn't all that good, and then he wasn't good in the NFL. Um, the one-year starter thing, though, is very, very important here because that's that's what really defines readiness. When teams talk about, like, who's pro-ready, it's not so much about evaluating, like, the grade they have on the player and whether they think the skills are, like, just easily translatable. It's more about sort of the processing, the how much experience they've had in-game situations, on a road, in bad weather, uh, you know, running an NFL-style offense. These are the things that get you kind of ready to play. And that's where, like, it's it's just very different to be a multi-year starter than one-year guy. And I'm not saying Anthony can't do it. There's there's so much to fall in love with in terms of the athleticism and the measurables. And, I mean, I absolutely understand how people can look at this and think, hey, if you give him a Cam Newton path, why not just kind of see where that goes? There is a chance that it's absolutely incredible. But – this is the furthest thing from a can't miss prospect to me. This is this is more of a boomer bust. Uh, it, it's more like Josh Allen because Cam Newton again. You had all this all these same measurables we're seeing here, but he had just done it, just dragged Auburn past Alabama into a national title with all the big moments. You talk about Anthony's lack of big moments. Like that was Cam's whole season was these big moments after big moments. Running this, past Patrick Peterson, coming yeah. back against Bama. You had this feeling he was going to step in from day one and could play at that level, no question about it. And he was, you know, a bit, you know, bit immature and always kind of stayed immature. And that's where I do see, I do see flashes of Cam in Anthony. And I, I actually, initially when he did his interview, I didn't necessarily love some of the answers that came off very young. But then when I thought about what it would take to actually make this type of player work, it almost would help that he kind of doesn't know what he doesn't know. And that like that that level of confidence is the only thing that's going to power this through because it's going to be a whirlwind for him when he gets out there. It's it's just so new. It's 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 just how hard it is to leap from college to the NFL and especially one year of college and at that age to the NFL. I just think it's being very underplayed in this process. And all I'm all I bring it up is to say like that's why there's there's a floor here, is that we really don't know. We haven't seen him actually put it together. And now you're asking him to put it together at the highest, highest level of football. And we just, it's a wild card. It could be amazing, but it's not, it's far from a guarantee. And it's far, far less of a guarantee than I think uh, a couple other guys in this class. After, after, uh, after starting this off by expressing reservations and my musings and wonderings about it, I'm going to finish the Anthony Richardson conversation by saying this, and you can, you'll obviously have something to say about this. I, I think there's a real chance that Anthony Richardson goes number one. I think I think there's a real chance that he ends up being somebody that people fall in love with. And initially, I just I was thinking this just based on the buzz um, and sort of the feeling that, like, if someone's going to move up to number one, which it sounds like someone's going to trade up to number one because the Bears have an available pick. But I also think that. If you move up to number one, what you're going to have to give up to the Bears, you're 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 really going for it. And 
Young has the the size issues, which we'll get to. Stroud has the mobility issues, which we'll get to. Um, Richardson feels like the biggest lottery ticket. Uh, and because, you know, the, the pick, you're doing it for the upside. You're doing it for the chance that all of that gets put together and he becomes a perfect passer in the NFL the way Allen it Like, you know, he becomes he becomes a really good passer the way Allen does and efficient. And then on top of that, you get all this other stuff. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, we actually have a recent example, another quarterback draft class of this sort of happening. Trey Lance going to the Niners feels a lot like this. Like the Niners made that pick on Trey Lance because of the upside. It, it wasn't because of the, it wasn't like, well, who was the other quarterback they were supposed to be considering? Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Okay. They were, that's right. They're considering Mac Jones. Um, but they, they ultimately ended up making the pick on, on the guy with the, with the upside that we didn't know a lot about who just missed the season and everything like that. And we don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. I mean, he's been hurt a lot. Uh, but so I'm not, I'm not saying that Anthony Richardson's career is going to be like, like Trey Lance's, but I could see just in up. terms of just in terms of the draft, like the where he gets picked, I could see some team going. Uh, we're gonna if we're gonna have go all that way up to the number one pick, we're gonna bet on what we think is the most upset. Yeah, the Niners are a great example for that because it, I I've heard they very much were in on Mac Jones, and then it shifted very late to Trey Lance, and it was sort of that was some of the thought process is you're coming up here. If you really want to take a swing at a guy who can challenge a guy like Patrick Mahomes, then you're going to have to go tools and traits. And the idea was they had the offense around him. They had a bridge quarterback. They had, uh, you know, great quarterbacks coach and Kyle Shanahan. And so they took a one-year starter in Trey Lance based on just incredible measurables. And they liked his interviews and injuries have been a factor, but he can't, he just, he hasn't won them over. It's, it's just very clear to be able to combine that he's still at this point there's still this uncertainty about can they trust him on the field? And this is what I'm getting at about readiness. It's more about it's just that trust factor of can you operate the offense? Can you play within your skill set that also is within our offense? And if you aren't doing it in practice, they're not going to let you do it in the game. And it's just that's the projection. I'm not saying Anthony's, uh, you know, what, what he's going to be. But that is the risk with Trey Lance is that it's there has to be more than trades to the conversation. We saw that firsthand two years ago with Carson Wentz. So traits are never all there is at quarterback. If you have those great traits, you can combine them with, uh, you know, obsessive work ethic and confidence and intelligence. Then you have Patrick Mahomes, and you have Justin Herbert. And I do see, I do agree that he, Richardson could go number one because they're teams that are trying to figure out what to do in the AFC, specifically the AFC West. You could see a team like the Raiders go up because what else are they going to do in a division against Mahomes and Herbert, if not try to get something that has some chance of being that? And it may get a coach fired, but so will eight and eight over a certain amount of time if you don't break that glass ceiling. So there's there's definitely a logic to it. But it, but it, I promise you, the teams that are that are doing it, they're they're not looking at this guy as a can't miss. They're looking at him as a home run shot that. You know that doesn't have a guarantee, doesn't have a super high likelihood compared to the likelihood that Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud are good players is higher, but they just don't have that the same arm strength, athleticism that could challenge like Mahomes and Herbert. What about the Seahawks? Oh, I love they that fit. They just re-signed Geno. He's there for a couple of years. You don't have to play him. 
and they're sitting at five. And they need someone beyond Gina. What about the Sea? Like, I, I kind of like the idea of the Seahawks and Anthony Richardson. Oh, I love it, especially when you Gino's just... Alex Smith in this scenario, where like <laughs> he can play, but you don't necessarily want him to be long term. And there's outs in that deal, you know? Yeah. You think about like if you're trying to give him the Cam Newton offense, you go with the dominant uh, play action run game and then deep shots to a receiver flies on the field like DK Metcalf. And that's that one's awesome. The two that I like for him are 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 Seattle and Detroit. Detroit has Jared Goff oh, in front of him. Yeah. They have a chance to sort of sit and, and wait on him. And then they have offensive personnel that's very built to be around that. A great offensive line, which is the one thing he had at Florida. And something I did want to lay out, um, not to take too long, but for for him and Levis, I get Will Levis, I guess, this this conversation about when a guy should play, I think is very important. And there's this idea that sort of any team can take an Anthony Richardson and just sort of, you know, sit him, just find a quarterback off the street and play him. And like, who cares if you lose? It's, you know, you're doing it for the long term. I just want to say that is a lot harder to play out in an NFL locker room than it sounds. That That is an easy thing to do in Madden when there's not real people. But what happens is if you're going to sign a quarterback who's not your incumbent, if you're going to bring in a new quarterback off the street, he's coming in there understanding in this situation that he's not a long-term option. So he's not, he's not a high upside guy. He's an Andy Dalton type. And if that guy then is starting over the number four pick, let's say like the Colts have in the draft, um, what ends up happening is unless that guy plays super, super well, which if it's Andy Dalton coming in cold on a new offense, unlikely, then one of two things is going to happen. Either the Players in your locker room are wondering, why are you not playing the best quarterback and giving us the best chance when all of our futures are tied to that in a league of non-guaranteed contracts? Or you are playing the best quarterback and the number four pick on the field isn't good enough to beat out Andy Dalton. Neither situation is very good. And this is a tough situation to put a lot of coaches in, particularly, I think, a first-year head coach. But pretty much any coach that's not super established and if you think I'm overthinking it, I'm just going to point to the 2021 Chicago Bears, who did this exact thing when they draft, traded up, drafted Justin Fields. They signed Andy Dalton. Matt Nagy said we're taking the Patrick Mahomes model where we're going to sit him and only play him next year. doesn't matter what this year's record is. And it didn't work. It, like All of a sudden, Matt Nagy lost his place within the locker room. Uh, all of a sudden... You know, they're forcing Justin Fields out there, but the offense isn't built for him because that wasn't the timeline that they had the rest of the team on. Justin Fields takes nine sacks in his first game and is rattled. Matt Nagy is asking the owner if, uh, like, who who he should start at quarterback. Like, it just swallowed that regime and that that entire front office. And the, the alignment is in plan is just so, so critical here. And so I'm going to say that. And, and up until the draft, I'm going to say that probably a billion times on here, is that's what usually d- – does a lot of these kids wrong is it's not that the player isn't talented or can't work it's that the the organization isn't built for the plan that he needs to have to succeed and so landing spots very critical so i think anthony richardson could go to seattle or detroit and be a superstar i think if he goes to a place where he's forced out immediately um it could be a little harder but i think the worst would be to just sit him on the bench for the sake of it and kind of lose everything while not getting him the right experience that he needs to thrive. Uh, That's kind of what was happening in the fields there. And so 
this is the tricky part with Richardson. You love the talent. You see the upside. Figuring out the plan for a guy who's both inexperienced, who's both young, but needs game reps, it's kind of hard. He's the kind of player that I could see going back to school and being a, just an incredible prospect in a year from now. That's just not the world we're in anymore. So this is the challenge that teams are facing and figure out where to draft him and what kind of plan would actually kind of bring out the best in him. I kind of think, so I want to move it along now, and I'm going to kind of lump Stroud and Young together here for a second. Uh, we, we can probably branch off a little bit, but I'm going to lump them together because there was another thing I was thinking. The, the thinking is the only – we the, the other place I feel like the discussion has moved is, yeah, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young are good. They'll never be great. That That's what it feels like the discussion is with them right now. And I, I understand that the two that two of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are aliens. Like, I get that. Trust me, I get that. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, I get that they're – Aliens. The third, well, I would probably put him above Allen, but like the other guy in that top three group, Joe Burrow, is not an alien. And so just because someone doesn't have all of the physical tools, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful in the NFL. Now, I think it's harder to do that than it's been before. I I completely agree with people who say, you know, a true pocket passer is probably going to have a pretty hard time in the NFL. I don't think. Well, I, I definitely don't think Bryce Young is a true pocket passer. And with C.J. Stroud, uh, so I feel like we're applying different rules. I feel like the the, the, the draft analysis is applying different rules to uh, different quarterbacks with Stroud. So, like, the, the whole thing with Richardson is, okay, the overall numbers aren't good, but if you look at this, you can see it happen once. They can definitely get that out of it. With Stroud – the the thinking is, okay, we didn't see him be mobile very often. He was in the Georgia game. That's not who he actually is. And that's the that's, the, that's opposite ways of thinking to me. Like, if if you can if you're projecting Richardson based on a couple of throws he made in a game that didn't look good, or you're projecting him based on the Utah game, um, or or what you what you think could be there. You also, I think, have to do the same thing with Stroud in the Georgia game because there was a lot mobility-wise and creativity and playmaking-wise. And there was some some stuff in there that I was thinking about watching. I was watching, going back and watching some clips from that game. The arm that everybody talks about and the one that looked great on the combine floor the other day, like it plays when he's moving around in that game. It really plays when he's moving around in that game. And so um, – Stroud's kind of an interesting one to me and just thinking like, okay, maybe he's not as mobile as, say, Richardson or Jalen Hurts or somebody like that. But if it's in there and he can play like that, like, isn't isn't his ceiling really high? If you have a, a in a passing league where you have a, a, a pure passer who maybe who can maybe move around and create more than we realized. Absolutely. And with these kind of things, like whenever there's a flash on film, like Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network shared like an old scouts take is like, if you see it, scouts believe if you see it once, it's there. It can be brought out. I still like to figure out kind of why didn't we see it more? And that's so I basically try to ask stuff like that to Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud. And it gets you a little bit into was there a reason for it? Is there a reason to believe it, that it'll change? And I'll tell you, I came away a lot more impressed with CJ's answer. And I think CJ had the best week of any quarterback as far as 
impressing the Colts and fitting what they're looking for. Because what you want in these settings is growth mindset. That's why Chris Ballard is watching these to see kind of how self-aware these players are, confident, but also knowing where they need to get better. And I thought CJ had a totally plausible explanation for why we didn't see more of that athleticism earlier in his tenure when he talked about, uh, number one, he wasn't healthy most of the year, dealing with a hamstring injury, trying to not doom his team season, and why run when you can throw to Marvin Harrison? And why would you, like a lot of quarterbacks are one read and then run. When your first read is Marvin Harrison and he's open every play, like it becomes selfish to then run. And it also kind of undercuts how Ohio State built a program, which is around wide receiver talent and spending eight hours, you know, eight hour practices on passing concepts to, to turn that into a tuck it and run offense to him was not the way to go. He really wanted to develop as much as he could as a passer and then did acknowledge that there were some moments where that that bit him was not having trained that extra gear against Michigan, I think was the big game where that came out. So Georgia became the time to look at that, reassess month prep and put it all together. And that was a just a masterful show. And I thought the way he laid it out gives me a lot of confidence that that's going to be the new CJ we see. Now, it's not going to be the level of like Anthony Richardson. I don't think you're going to call QB power for him the same rate. I don't think he's looking to run quite as early. Probably not. There is a projection here as far as that. But but a lot of that's on the coaching staff, too. And Ohio State's notoriously told him, do not run. Do not ever risk it. They didn't believe in what they had behind him. I mean, they were doing that with Justin Fields, too. And then they really ramped it up with Stroud. So uh, that is an interesting point you bring up, though, where, like, we we talk about the flashes of some guys' games and, and, and not the others. And with CJ, if you want to just talk upside, when you when you look at how he is as a passer, smooth, mechanical, uh, pretty good arm, good size, and then you add in, we'll see what he tests in the 40 and all this, but there's an idea that he could get as high as or as low as 4-5. All of a sudden, you're seeing a guy who's sort of a mix between two of Shane Steichen's former quarterbacks. You've got he's he's been compared to Philip Rivers just in terms of obviously we're talking young out of the draft Philip Rivers, but in terms of just sort of his mental recall, his his operation at the line, and his accuracy and ball placement. But Philip wasn't mobile; it was a different era. Justin Herbert was that guy who who could extend, and then his arm plays up while he's on the move. That's what we saw against Georgia, and if, and if Chase Sykes sees flashes of those two, and then he finds the obsessive work trait. You could absolutely see where CJ could become his favorite in the draft. Again, it's a projection on that athleticism, but again, kind of all of this is a projection, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, I, I think my role in this podcast is just going to be playing devil's advocate like all over the place. Um, so here's another thing I was thinking when Hen and Hooker talked, and like I said, we'll touch on Hooker very briefly. Um, but when Hendon Hooker talked, they, people were asking about Tennessee's offense and the wide splits, and all of his guys are always open. Isn't that maybe the real question we should be asking with Stroud? I'm I'm lobbing this to you down the middle of the plate because I know you kind of mentioned it before. But isn't that maybe more of the the concern is his team was so talented uh, that 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 you don't know what it, what it looks like? And and Stroud kind of spoke to this a little bit where he was talking about he thinks he throws guys open. He thinks in the NFL where there won't be as much separation, his accuracy is going to come into play, which I can see. I mean, that's Drew Brees. Drew Brees' accuracy was was the kind that could throw guys open or, or, or complete passes to guys who weren't open. But isn't that the question with Stroud? Can he actually do that in the NFL? Like maybe more so than the mobility? Like they were so much better than, any, than most of the teams oh, yeah. they played. 
Yeah, especially that first read I talked about. When your first read's open all the time, it just makes life easier. It makes it easier to just avoid trouble, avoid sacks and turnovers, which is one of his strong suits. But we haven't seen him in that many of those situations where he hasn't had that. I think there's a little more nuance to CJ because Jackson Smith Njigba was out the entire season. Uh, it's not so he had one of those guys, but it wasn't maybe the quite the same as, as the year before when he had both. But that is one thing where I think he helped himself in throwing on Saturday. I know Chris Ballard brought up they're look, they're throwing to guys they've never thrown to before. For CJ, he kind of needed to do that. You know, it helped to see it a little bit, just that timing and precision and accuracy on out routes and on deep balls. And it, it looks good there. Of course, it's it's shorts. It's that's not real football, but it was a little bit of a window into what he's hoping to project. But that that is the hardest thing about this is figuring out how do we separate these quarterbacks who played with just unbelievable skill talent and then put them in situations where a team's picking in the top five for a reason. But I think if you look at C.J. Stroud, it's the, you know, if you're comparing him to like to Dwayne Haskins, the difference is Dwayne was sort of like a get the ball to your playmakers in the backfield and have them go. C.J. throws a lot outside the numbers and down the sidelines. And the same kind of routes he was throwing in Lucas Oil are the ones that I think will excite people the most. But the one thing where I think that that does what you're talking about does play into it is he's played so confidently because he knows he always has the better receiver. That won't be the case in the NFL. So we'll see if that confidence, that fire we see from him, if that sticks throughout. Okay, we're doing this after the combine. So this because he didn't throw, this was always going to be the case. Is everybody sleeping on Bryce Young? Before, before it, Daniel Jeremiah was saying the only thing wrong with Bryce Young is the size. Now, I think arm strength is maybe something that's a little yeah. – he throws with a lot of touch. He doesn't always throw with a lot of velocity. But are we all just kind of sleeping on Bryce Young because he didn't throw? And, and, and also, also because he's coming out of Alabama, and former Alabama players notoriously uh, say nothing in interviews, and he also said nothing in interviews. So are we sleeping on the possibilities of Bryce Young? Yeah, I think so. I think we're forgetting a little bit about just the resume he has and how hard it, it's so rare to have a player whose game you can't pick apart. Like the, the actual football playing of it, it's like what Joe Burrow was. But um, but at the same time, like this is where I think Bryce, I think he missed an opportunity this week. And, and what I liked about the throwing is that it was is side by side competition. It's Anthony Richardson on the field at the same time as CJ Stroud. They're competing, they're throwing the same routes, they're watching each other do it. And it's controlling the news cycle. This is a job interview. So it's a way to kind of get your name out there a little bit more. I mean, I understand why Bryce felt like he doesn't have anything to prove, but really the one thing he's got to prove is the weight. And if you really look at this, like he weighed in at 204 after bulking up and then didn't do any drills with that extra weight. So then he's going to go to his pro day. He's got a few weeks to trim down back to wherever he's natural playing at. And then if he does the drills and doesn't weigh, I don't think we really have an answer. You know, I don't think he's put the weight question away necessarily. I think it's just he's a smaller quarterback and it's easy to love his film. You have to believe in that. But yeah, I mean, Bryce went from kind of clear cut number one to guy no one's really talking about because, you know, he, he just he, he didn't. He didn't take this event to prove his stock because he didn't feel like he needed to. But I do think Richardson and Stroud have both closed the gap a little bit. Uh, I, I can confirm that uh, both as somebody who, who eats and uh, as somebody who used to spend a lot of time around college wrestlers, you can gain a lot of weight really fast if you want to. 
Mm-hmm. You can really gain a lot of weight really fast S- if you want to. Especially when you live in the South. Um, I I could if you gave me if you gave me an an agent's budget at and not just an agent but a number one pick possibility agent's budget at St. Elmo's, I think I could put on six seven pounds in one sitting pretty easy. Would you want to so, do the drills right after that? I would not. I would. Okay. I wouldn't want to do the drills for another like six weeks. Uh, the <laughs> thing we're with on the, the Bryce thing Young with, timeline. The thing is, for the thing with Bryce Young is, like, I think it's hard for me sometimes with the Alabama quarterbacks because I'm just so used to seeing Alabama. It's not interesting to me anymore. But Bryce Young feels like the most creative and most natural of all of them so far. Uh, in terms yeah. of the way he makes plays, the Texas game last year, uh, the Tennessee game, I know they lost the Tennessee game, but it definitely wasn't his fault. Um, it was everybody not covering Jalen Hyatt. Um, you know, the, there's there's a lot to love there about his game. The size question, you know, it's sort of like the Anthony Richardson thing. There's just not a lot of comps for it. Yeah. You know, you're 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 trying to pick a unicorn. And I don't necessarily hate that idea because here's the thing, like a lot of the great quarterbacks of the, of in history are sort of unicorn types. Like there was no Drew Brees before Drew Brees. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't, I don't hate that. I, I do get the under, I do get the, the concerns about the size though. Um, same way, honestly, there should be concerns durability wise about players like Richardson uh, who run a lot or Levis, who's known as kind of a battering ram. I, we've talked about this in this prod- podcast over and over again. I get, about like I stood there right in front of Anthony Richardson just like you did. It's it's a he's incredibly big. It's a great makeup. But if you can hurt Cam Newton enough to knock him out of the league, you can do it to anybody. And someone who's going to be running as much as Richardson would be, he's going to take a pounding. Same thing with Levis's style of sort of running like being a battering ram like fullback type. Like that's harder to do in the league. And I, I mean, I know Josh Allen has thus far outside of the elbow been sort of able to escape it. But how long? Like, how long is that going mm-hmm. to happen? And with if you get the wrong hit, does it happen earlier? You know, that Daniel Jeremiah keeps talking about four- to five-year windows. I think Frank Wright kind of mentioned that in his Panthers press conference. You think in four- to five-year windows in the NFL right now. But if a player can get hurt later in their career, they can also get hurt earlier in their career. And so I think I think that maybe with, with some of these mobile guys, that's something that we're not talking about. We're talking all about Bryce Young's penchant or possibility for injury we're not talking about these big dudes using that size and maybe ending up catching something bad on the back end of that size I mean, lamar jackson has been hurt the last couple of years and i love watching lamar play i love what he can do but the injuries are starting to be a real calculation for the ravens uh it has hurt their seasons it's not just a calculation for the ravens They're, baltimore has lost good seasons they haven't made the playoffs two years in a row right Right. Yep. And both uh, times it was because of injury situations. No, they, they made it this year, but Tyler Huntley started. Oh, that's right. Tyler Huntley started. So, so they've like they've they've had to deal with what happens when you don't have Lamar in terms of wins and losses, you know. And so, I think that's that's maybe a spot that we're missing with some of these the, some of the guys that can move around a lot is like yeah we're all talking about Bryce Young is little and what does that mean for his uh, durability. What does it mean with these guys who are going to run a lot? Like, are they going to protect themselves? Andrew Luck never learned that until it was too late. You know, um, 
there's there's other guys who've, who've been big. Yeah. And like I said, if you can, Her, if you can hurt Cam Wentz. Newton, if you can hurt Cam Newton, you can hurt anybody. Carson Wentz is another good one. I mean, Carson Wentz was the best Carson Wentz ever looked was before he tore his ACL. And he's yeah. that's another guy who's built like a superhero, you know. So I think that's maybe some that's maybe another part of this that you have to weigh, and maybe NFL teams are weighing even if we're not in the media. Yeah, I think it's a great point because you know it's we talk about like mileage, kind of picking up for running backs, but what about quarterbacks you use as running backs? You know, yeah. there's guys if you're going to run them 200 times, obviously it's not all the same kind of runs, but some of them are. Some of it's QB power, and it's I mean, big guys play big. They lower their shoulder. They don't want to slide. That's that's a big issue that, that Carson has had, and I know Andrew Luck at times had, and they, they like to play I that think way. Especially a guy, especially a guy like Richardson on the goal line. Like, don't you're going to want to use that, right? Oh yeah, heck yeah. And, and Will Levis is a good point because you know part of his case is that well we didn't get to see the full Will Levis because he in the second half of the season had shoulder and foot injuries. Well, but that's why. You know, like they, they you use them that way, you're going to risk that injury. And they're going to the NFL where the rules are very skewed to protect one of those types of players. It's the quarterback, the drop back guy, not the one carrying the ball and lowering a shoulder down the field. That guy doesn't get protected. Anymore. That's a great Cam Newton. That's a great Cam Newton reference. Cam yeah. Newton used to get murdered and no one cared. <laughs> he was he was a master battering room. And so like Bryce Young, like, I think about Drew Brees was, as, as you can attest to far better than I, but like he is the master at maneuvering the pocket and getting the ball away, like to get away from the big bodies. There's something to the slippery nature of smaller players and guys who are very aware at being that. That's why there's like a kind of cool comparison between cross sport between Bryce Young and Steph Curry, where Steph has certainly had some injury issues, but he's reached pro- prolific play and had a long career. Because he plays basketball the one way you can play at that size, which is just shoot over everybody. Bryce Young is playing the one way you can play football at this size, theoretically, which is play in the backfield and get the ball out. Now, of course, there's always risk to that. And I think with him, the fit I'm going to look for is like, do you have an offensive line? Because I, I think he can maneuver pockets super well. He's my favorite of these guys at that. But I mean, if like if you don't block anyway, if you do what the Colts did last year, it doesn't really matter who's back there at quarterback. They're going to take hits. They're going to take some big shots. That's what you got to keep off him. It's not just that he's going to get you know he's get chased around. That's his game. But it's it's those huge shots, those blitzes you can't pick up, the the just completely whiffed blocks on the edge. Um, so wherever he's he goes, as long as you invest the offensive line, I'm I'm personally totally fine with the size because I think he's. He's played around that. He's played with athletes at Alabama and against Georgia and in the SEC that are not far off the size he's going to face in the NFL. I think he has a playing style very suited to it. But there is that added risk that if you just put him behind a really bad line, there's even more of that chance of him just kind of cratering because you didn't support him. Levis Levis is the, the last of the big four. It feels like Levis could fall to me. Yeah, that's why I kind of put put him in there with the Jordan Love piece. It feels like Levis could fall a little bit. Um, I feel like there's a lot of examples recently of the big arm quarterback uh, with with rough production, like falling off a little bit. And and all you have to do is look at the last two Colt seasons to see why. (laughs) 
with Wentz, you had the sacks and you had the sort of ridiculous, you know, try hard plays that always seemed to come up in the worst moments. With Matt Ryan, you had all the interceptions. And so Will Levis throwing 23 interceptions and taking 58 sacks in two seasons, that's that's a problem for me. That's a big problem. And Daniel Jeremiah kind of saying, you know, every what do you what do you say? Every every blindside hit feels like it's a surprise party. Kind of saying that there's no there he doesn't he, he doesn't know if he trusts Levis's pocket feel. That's that's a concern. With, I, Colts fans, I think, have seen that. I think Colts fans have seen what happens when you don't have good feel in the pocket and how bad it can be and how much it can it can hurt you. It's I will say this. It is hard for me, having watched the the Kentucky Missouri game and the Kentucky Tennessee game last year. It's hard for me to get there. I know you're supposed to really watch all the rest of them. I, I got to be honest. I I have other I have. I have other responsibilities on our beat specifically uh, that I have to be chasing and doing for it. So it's hard for me to watch all the games, but it's going to be really hard for me to get those out of my mind, especially Tennessee, because Tennessee was sort of, to me, a really good example of what those numbers are. Like te- he tried to force stuff against Tennessee mm-hmm. and it bit him. And if you do it in the NFL now, I think for the most part, it bites you. It's, it's not, it's not a, it is no longer a force it in league in the way that it used to be. And you saw that a little bit with Josh Allen this year, where Josh Allen threw some interceptions and obviously he had the elbow, but like people start talking about, wait, is Josh Allen really that good? Like it's, that's because it's harder to do that and be successful anymore. The way now I would say that people are probably overreacting on Josh Allen, but the way, the way people look at quarterbacking now, those kind of mistakes are more unforgivable than they used to be. Yeah. Will Levis is interesting because there's elements of him where you can see you can see the comparisons to Josh Allen in terms of their touchdowns and picks. The, their final two years are basically equal. They both were in these pro style offenses where they were considered like really good at picking them up, but just held back by what's around them. Kentucky lost a lot of personnel in the NFL, and it's Kentucky in the SEC and. Just the system he is in, it's a pro-style system, but it wasn't called the best. I get all that, and there's reason why you can maybe not crush him for all the turnovers and sacks, but I'm with you because if I'm if I'm going to spend my top a top five pick on a quarterback, the case cannot be excuses. Like that, that to me is just not a way to get the whole building behind a guy and then hope that if we control this and we control this and we control this, it'll all go away because – in year one, you're not going to be able to control all of it. He is going to be new to the NFL. He is going to be catching up speed. All rookies, almost all rookie quarterbacks struggle to some degree. And then the team's got to catch up. There's a reason you're picking him in the top five. And so a team like the Colts, like they're going to try their hardest to rework their offensive line. But we can't sit here and act like that's just going to be, they're going to solve all those problems for them and there'll be no pressure. And the pressure is the part to me that's concerning with him is that his completion rate is is a lot better than Josh Allen's, a lot better than it's like 66%. It's like he he does a lot of good things out there that's more than just chuck the ball far. But it's those, it's what he does in the big moments and what he does under pressure, and really any pressure, the, the rate that pressures turn into sacks for him. It's just glaring. And so it has to be rewired. And that's some of what happened with Josh Allen. Um, the thing I'll give him credit for is like. With, all, with running quarterbacks, I think it gets tossed around that they're just projects. They're just like long-term upside guys, but they don't have readiness. I think mobility or rookie year in the NFL is actually 
it's like an extra lever to pull. It's something I think Dwayne Haskins badly needed. It's like you you can before you developed as a passer that extra layer of running. I think that helped Jalen Hurts last year. Yeah, it makes you more uh, effective. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's some ways that like he could learn and grow. He seems very tough physically and mentally, which was Josh Allen. That's how he played through not playing his best early in the league. Like there is a way to make this work. I just I'd be surprised if he's the top pick for any team, just the top of the board. I just I just don't know how you can build that case with all these other guys. There's either a mix of they've proven it, they've gone out and done it, like Young and Stroud at the highest level in the biggest games, they're ready. Or it's like Anthony Richardson, where it's like the the up the the big plays are so out there that it's not it's not all excuses with him. There are huge plays out there. It's just not very long and and you know and not consistent. But with uh, with Will Levis, it's too much talking about what happened at Penn State, how they didn't use him right, how they didn't pick him over Sean Clifford, how it just it, it piles up after a while. And at some point, your quarterback has to rise above that. And you know, until Will Levis does that, I don't think he moves above these other these other guys. At least I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine he's going to. Um, that brings us to our last quarterback. And and again, Colts fans don't want to think about this. I totally get it. What if you get traded over? <laughs> what if, say, Carolina comes up and let's just throw a real wild card in there? What if, like, Raiders? No, no, no. Let's go further than that. Let's get let's get real crazy. Like, like let's let's say like, I don't know. Well, let's, well, actually, you know what? Let's go in the top ten. Let's say the Seahawks go up to one and get Richardson as a long term play behind Geno. Texans pick Young, and then Panthers come up and take Stroud. And you're not high on Levis, and you don't want to take him with that pick, which Chris Ballard does not want to use a high pick on somebody he doesn't believe in. Because he says over and over again, and this could be very debated. I'm not saying this is a good – I'm not saying this is the way I would think about it. I'm saying this is the way the guy who's making the pick thinks about it, is which is honestly all that matters, and that's what we're trying to figure out most, is what do Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard think, because none of us are making the pick. But what he thinks is the moment you pick a guy that high, they become the face of the franchise. And do you really want to do that with somebody you're not sure of? If you're in that situation and you say, I don't want to pick whoever's left over. We can trade down, pick a defensive player, maybe move back into the, maybe move back into the first if we're not concerned. I do think that there is, and Daniel Jeremiah thinks this, it's not just me. I, I don't really count because I like Tendon Hooker so much in the fall. But uh, Daniel Jeremiah thinks this as well. Hendon Hooker is the sort of player that I think you could pick up later. And I know he's 25, but I also buy Daniel Jeremiah's argument on this, which is like, okay, he's 25. If you get seven to eight years of really good quarterbacking in the NFL, don't you take it? I mean, that's all that's 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 more than the Colts have had in a while anyway. You know, they've had one the Colts have had one year of truly great quarterbacking, uninterrupted by injury. In essentially in Ballard's entire tenure, which is getting long now, you know, and if you have a guy who's there for all that time and he's giving you a real shot, it doesn't bother me as much. Plus, he's 25 now. If he gives you seven, eight good years and he sits for a year, he's still 34. Like, that's not that old in quarterback terms anymore, you know, so it doesn't bother me as much. I also know that the part of it is, well, the older he is, the less he has to develop. I... I don't know if that's true when you have some of these transfer situations where it clearly didn't work out somewhere and then it fit somewhere else. Like, 
I don't remember us saying about Joe Burrow, like, oh, well, this LSU stuff sucks because he was bad at, oh, he was bad at Ohio State, you know? And I think that that's, that's, I think that that's maybe overblown a little bit in the era of the transfer quarterback because what we're saying about the NFL in bad situations, like you can't put your rookie quarterback in a bad situation, that also applies to college football. Like, if you put a quarterback in a bad situation, you're not doing the best for them to let them see what they can. And they go to a different system, and that system fits them better. And all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, I get it. Like, for Burrow, it it didn't happen until LSU gave him the right system his last year. You know? And that's kind of a unique thing to happen, but that's part of it, too, is, is, okay, he's had time to develop. But also, he finally got into a system where they can use it, and now he knows what works for him. The team he's going to knows what works for him. They can emphasize that. Yeah, I think the age thing, I look at it very differently with quarterback than pretty much any other position. Because every other position, there's there's just a little bit more of an athletic profile or necessity to have one than there is a quarterback. And there's quarterback growth comes in different ways. It's not just physical and athletic growth. It's really your growth and experience. Getting to like the PhD levels. That's where like Joe Burrow has just continued to pick up steam doing stuff this year he never did the year before the year before Patrick Mahomes is at that level where he can lose Tyreek Hill because he's sort of a master within the Andy Reid playbook like these guys that's why it, it the position ages so well because quarterback prime is actually when you're in your 30s if if you keep you know playing at a high level because the players keep coming in the league younger and you have like 10 years of data on them in terms of the things you can throw at them you get to run the offense and so on that level, like Hendon Hooker is really intriguing. Like he talks like an NFL player. Like that is the most impressive combine I can remember from a quarterback that I've been at. I wasn't I wasn't there back when Andrew did it. Um, but like just in terms talks, of he kind of talks like the guy Shane Steichen was talking about with the obsession. Yeah. It was what I took away from it. Yeah, it's like there's this guy going around asking players, uh, you know, if it's third and eight, third and goal from the eight, what are you trying to run? And just, it's just very quick, and a lot of them just kind of pull out a random play. And like he he broke down like sixteen levels of a play right then and there, and you could just see the way his mind operates. And just he was playing at a different speed. Like that was his experience level was the factor there last year. He's through five picks in two years of a pretty pass heavy offense at Tennessee. And what I gave him a lot of credit for is like with Joe Burrow, those players that just transform a program. I am so impressed by because that takes. A lot of different levels. It takes your play, it takes your personality, it takes your experience, your brain, your comfort, and your ability to get everybody on board with that. And Tennessee is one of the hardest places. They, nobody has done that since, good Lord, I don't know. Someone before I was watching college football, almost back to the Peyton days, the last time they really had a quarterback live up to expectation there. So the player with Hendon, I like a lot. It's it's the ACL that is more troubling because he's going to miss the install He's going to miss the spring. He's supposed to be back by training camp. But you, you get into a spot where you're like, oh, he's supposed to be back. You you hope he'll be back. Like, they got to end this quarterback carousel here in Indianapolis and waiting on another guy and then seeing, you know, you're trying to project what kind of an athlete he can be within that, with a torn ACL. That's where I think it gets a little – it's just very unfortunate the way it worked for him. He seems like a guy that is perfect for, like, the Jalen Hurts part of the draft. Like if you're a team that doesn't need, doesn't have to pick a quarterback, but you're looking at one and you can get to the second round and it just, it lowers the pressure for how early he has to play. 
but he could end up being a really good pick because I think he's got a lot of the traits that win in this league, which are a lot of head and heart. Like Bruce Arians always said his top two uh, areas for a quarterback, he looks to way above all else is head and heart. And I don't think that really gets talked about at this time of year. You know, we just look at film. It's something that's hard for us to read. But I think it came through in, in, in Hendon's interview, and I think that's how he transformed that program. And I think some team's going to get a really good quarterback. It's just I don't know how you get – I don't know how you do the Hendon Hooker route if you're a team like Indianapolis that's like you have to find the starter. You can't mess around with it. It's just tricky to do the whole sit and wait for your second pick. Yeah, it's 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 that's why I said at the top that it's super unlikely, you know, uh, just because I just can't see it happening where Indianapolis doesn't end up with somebody it wants, just because of the pressure on the franchise, pressure on the owner, pressure on the general manager, um, and and everything that's transpired with going through veteran after veteran after veteran. I, I can't see it happening, but I wanted to bring it up as a possibility. Uh, just in one case. way it happens, though. If he brings up Peyton Manning 60 times talking to Jim Irsay, <laughs> it might just force something. <laughs> and Jim uh, Bob Cooter, who's also a former Tennessee quarterback. That's uh that's uh that's probably it for this. I I uh I wanna say, like, hopefully it came through here. And I don't think it's going to, because I think that what happens in the draft is that everyone has their guys, and if you say anything bad about their guy, this is what I was talking about at the top. Uh that that you're automatically you hate them and you could never see them working out. I, I am really trying to approach this draft as I don't necessarily have a favorite. I've been trying not to think about it that way because I think that for me, as somebody who's not a draft analyst, um, I think it's better to think about how guys can be used. What are their, like, what are the, the hangups a team has to get over? I'm, I'm essentially trying to figure out, you know, the way the wind's blowing in this more than I'm trying to figure out who I like best. And I think that's kind of the way I reason I structured it this way uh, in this one. You know, you do a little bit more of the draft analysis, but I wanted to like try to ask some questions and bring up some stuff that people haven't been talking about. Um, because the reality is any of these guys could be superstars and any of these guys could bust. And uh, once they're here, whoever the guy is, then I think we have real data. We have real data with the Colts in the NFL. Uh, to start seeing what they do. And then I'll be all in on on grading and evaluating their play. But with the draft, there's a projection there. And so I, I do want to take it from a, okay, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Because I think all of that stuff is going to come into play whenever they make the pick or do whatever they're going to do here in the next two months. Yeah, for sure. It's like where quarterbacks go is just such a huge part of this. It's so like anybody – like my evaluation of the what the career is going to be like for any of these five, like I need you to tell me where he's going, <laughs> and then we can have that conversation. Because really, it's all these guys have tons of talent. I really like this quarterback class. Actually, I could talk myself to any one of these five with the plan that they need. Um, you know, that that's just a fun conversation to me. I I really think all of them have that kind of potential, and then all of them have some pitfalls too. Where if they go to a place that's just a death trap that doesn't that that doesn't protect their kind of one fatal area, uh, they could fall apart. But it's it's you know I just it is fun to be more open minded with this. I know everyone likes to have their guy and, and get into debates and and all of that. But like I, I think it's also just exciting to kind of imagine what a guy can be, what could get him there, and like this is 
quarterbacks run this league. And like, there is a huge amount of potential for guys this talented. And it's just one of those kind of situations. Like you have to let the rose bloom sometimes. And I'm kind of excited to see where these kids go. I also can't get the information that I want, which is I want to know what people say to Shane Steichen about his obsessiveness. I want to know about that. And then the other thing I want to know is the S2 cognition test that every player takes now. Because uh, you are obsessed with that test. I am because everything I've heard about it is that's very predictive of quarterback like mental ability. And those results are sadly not public. And so that's that's the thing that interests me most. Just uh, the reason that the reason I thought about it, I wasn't going to bring it up in this one. Um, it's essentially it's a test that measures reaction speed and impulse control and stuff like that. It's very different than the Wonderlick, which is a knowledge test and like a learning test. Um, but uh, the thing that the thing that I think uh, the thing that brought it up to me was you said all five quarterbacks in this draft they're all interesting to me and I could see like I could see how all of them work out. Well, the thing that was in the athletic story about this test, which I've been hearing about for years but didn't know its name, so I couldn't do a story myself, was uh, was that this in that story it said that this year's class of quarterbacks was the highest graded of any class that they've had in the seven years they've been doing that. And that includes 2020, which is essentially a four or five success rate right now, yeah. you know, within the top five. And so that's that's what made me think about it was if that's really true and all five of these guys are up there in that, then there really is potential here to have another one of those classes where you have a lot of guys who are pretty good. Um, And I think that's probably where, you know, we should end the pod like there's potential here that we're we're knocking all these guys down. But there's there's also potential to really find somebody here. Absolutely. Like I said at one point in this, that like traits are not everything. And that's why I, I, I just pump with the brakes on any conversation that's just traits equal success. But like if when when I look at, you know, when I do the studying and stuff and when I read about it, I agree. I wish I knew more about some of that stuff, because when I see flashes of that ability to sort of, you know, process that ability to sort of elevate your, you know, build your own game and understand what it is and really impose your will on an opponent through snap decisions and um and your style of football like that that's completely different level to me that's what i think all the almost all the top quarterbacks do we talked about last time like we no longer have that just big armed quarterback who doesn't use his brain that wins anymore brett farb's gone the last dumb quarterback so the last good one (laughs) at least Um, (laughs) the last great dumb quarterback (laughs) but like i just i I really fell in love with this class just talking to them in the interviews. I think they all showed some level of of this potential. And so just just the smarts and the growth and the willingness and the hunger. And I can see why Shane Steichen jumped to the head coaching job this cycle because it's it's not a bad year to go out and find your quarterback. It's hard to pick them apart, hard to figure out which one's better than the others, but it's kind of a fun spot to be in. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. Uh, This has been Nate Atkins. We have free agency just tomorrow, basically. Uh, The franchise tag is happening as we speak. The Colts didn't really factor into that, but uh, there's going to be some moves. And uh, I'm sure at some point, maybe before the weekend, we'll do a uh, preview on the free agent class where I just talk about how much I don't like the top of the free agent class in terms of giving them big money. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but but that's, that's the next thing for this Colts team. I think we probably do need to do, do a, a, a pod on that just because I think there's some some questions to be asked about where the Colts are and what they should be doing with their money. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do that here at some point. 
Uh, but that's that's the next thing, and then we'll be right back into these quarterbacks. I think free agency this year is going to be like a week of people being interested, and usually in Colts land, that's a quiet week that has maybe like one thing happen in it. But I think unlike last year where you know the free agent stuff kind of dragged out into April, right after that, you're going to be going to pro days, I'm going to be going to the owners' meetings, and everything we talk about is going to be quarterback from then on. So uh, keep listening to the podcast. Uh, we'll keep We'll keep plugging away at it, and at some point, at some point on April, what I can't remember what the date is. I wish I had it off the top of my head. We'll know and we'll have an answer. 